0: Well, again, good morning. I'm Josh, one of the ministers here at Clear Creek, and I want to just join with you in celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For almost 2,000 years, Christ followers have had this, this rhythm, this tradition on Easter, where one person will say, Jesus Christ is risen, and the other congregation members will say, He is risen indeed. And I think especially in today's climate and the challenges that we're facing, it is more important, maybe now more than ever, to declare with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the one who He says He is. So let's do that this morning. I'm going to say Jesus Christ is risen and invite you where you are to loudly and boldly declare He is risen indeed. We're going to do this three times. And so each time you just speak it and believe it with me. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus Christ is risen, Jesus Christ is risen, Jesus Christ is risen, amen, amen, He is risen indeed. Well, today is Easter and this is the day that Jesus' followers have always celebrated the resurrection and the hope that Jesus brings. In fact, it's a good thing to talk about hope because some hope is something that we all desperately, desperately need. It, it is almost like oxygen to the human body. We cannot live without hope. Now, when you're younger, we hope almost in a recreational, casual sense. We say things like, I hope I get this job, or I hope I pass this test. I hope I make this team. I hope we win this game. I hope this... I get this job. Or maybe, I hope she says yes when I ask her out. Or ladies, I hope he says yes when he asks me out. Or maybe you say, no, I hope he doesn't ask me out. Or maybe if you're single, you say, well, I hope this person will marry me. And if they do, you say, well, I hope that we have children, that our house is full of kids, that we have kids in our house. And then if you have kids, you say something like, I hope that our house is empty of kids. But we all hope, don't we? Now the reality is that if you live long enough, these earthly, temporary hopes will eventually disappoint you. They will fail you. Life just will. You know, if you're wanting to get married, you won't get married when you want to get married. Or you get married and something happens, you don't have kids. Or you get married and you have kids and then something horribly goes wrong with them, or something goes wrong with you, or a friend dies, or a job is lost, or a divorce happens, and life disappoints, the hopes of this world that we so often say, this is what we hope in, fail us. And it's in these moments that we have to ask the important question, is there an an ultimate hope that sits underneath all these smaller hopes that is able to withstand the trials of life, the difficulties of life, able to look life square in the eye through the tragedy, through the despair, through the uncertainty, and still stare and not blink. Well, it just so happens that there was a man named Jesus who came onto the world scene with the answer to the question, is there an ultimate hope? He said, yes, there is. And you can know it. And you can have this hope. And I know that in today's culture, we desperately need to be reminded of hope. Now, I want to be very clear. Hope does not take away the current circumstances. It does not pretend things are good when they're really bad. And friends, things may get worse before they get better. But Jesus says, I will give you hope. And today on Resurrection Sunday, I want to give you three ways you find hope from the resurrection. Because if you're in that place where you're saying, I need some hope, you're in good company. In fact, there is another person named Mary who desperately needed hope. Not on this Easter, but on the first Easter. And so I want to take you back to that moment found in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, this is a real interesting detail. We're told that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. Now, often when we're worried, the one thing that we desperately need is deep, uninterrupted sleep. And yet often worry is the thing that keeps us from sleep. In fact, maybe you're like me, often it's when you're worried that you find yourself unable to sleep. Maybe it's because of your job, because of your finances, because of a family member, because of a relationship, because of your health or the health of someone else. Worry wakes us up. I remember when Steve and our son was born, I love our little guy, but when he was first born, he cried all the time, especially at night. And I can remember we would get him tucked in, and just as we were about to go to sleep, he'd cry. So we'd get up, we'd go check on him, tuck him in again, and he'd cry again. And this would just go on and on. And I got so worried that he was going to wake me up from my deep, necessary, joyful sleep that I got to the point that I would stay up all night awake, worried that he would wake me up from my sleep. It's an amazing thing. Worry keeps us up. And I can almost imagine that Mary was up the night before Easter Sunday. Maybe she was thinking about how her world had been turned upside down by a circumstance she could neither predict nor prevent. And so you almost wonder if after laying there through the night, watching the ceiling, she finally said, Well, I'm finally, I'm awake, might as well go to the tomb. And so early in the morning, while it is still dark, Mary goes. To the tomb. So for anyone who is anxious or worried this Easter morning, know that you are in good company. But now there's an interesting detail here. While it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb, but we're told she gets to the tomb and the stone is already removed. She saw the stone had been rolled from the entrance. Before Mary got to the tomb, God was already at work. The first Easter began in The dark. Now hear this. Do not miss this point. Before the sun rose, before Mary arrived, God was at work in the dark. Here's the first thing you need to know if you want to hold on to hope this Easter. Is that hope often begins in the dark. Growing up, I didn't like the dark because I had and still do have a vivid imagination. I can remember one night, uh, I did not sleep well. Because earlier that day, I had found... I was in a toy store and I saw this toy yo-yo that had a cartoon drawing of the horror character Freddy Krueger. I remember just thinking, oh, he's terrifying, he's horrifying, this cartoon drawing. and So what did I think about and dream about that night? Oh yeah, Cartoon Freddy coming after me. And I remember waking up, screaming from this nightmare, calling out for my dad. My dad, he's a big six-foot-one guy. He comes racing into the room, but it's pitch black so I can't even see him. And yet he is in the room, and once he gets in there, he steps in, and then he turns on the light. In other words, my dad's physical presence was in the darkness before the light ever came on. He is the one who brought the light into the dark room. Now, do not miss this point. Darkness does not mean God has been defeated. And in fact, hope often begins in the darkness. Think with me for a moment here. Some of God's best work. In fact, if you want to thumb through the pages of Scripture, almost all of God's great work begins in the darkness. Creation sparked when the God of light entered into the darkness and we're told that the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the waters of the deep. It is in the darkness that God comes and He says, Let there be light. It is in the darkness of a prison that God begins to work and elevate a young man named Joseph so that he could be a savior to the nation of Israel and to Egypt. It is in the darkest hour of Israel's Egyptian bondage that God steps into that darkness and He begins to work to bring light and liberation for His people. Hear me now. It is in the darkness of Good Friday that God begins His great work to liberate humanity from Satan, sin, and death. And it's in the darkness that He rolls away the tomb. Jesus steps forth. So while Mary thought that the end was nigh... The end was here. God says, oh, the darkness doesn't mean defeat. The darkness is where I do my best work. And you need to know this morning that although things may seem dark and things may get darker, God is still at work, even in the darkness. And I love this. As a result of what she sees, she doesn't know what to do with this. I mean, what would you do if you went to see a loved one's grave and it was empty? So she does what any normal person does. She runs and she gets help. We're told in verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter, one of Jesus' followers, and the other disciple, we believe this is John, the author of this letter, the one Jesus loved and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, notice she says, we don't know. It's because the other Gospels tell us that Mary Magdalene went with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and another woman named Salome. And so she says, we don't know where they've put him. Now, we're told that Peter and John go with Mary to the tomb. They inspect the tomb. They go inside the tomb. But there is no body. But there are the linens of Jesus. Now, this is an interesting little detail. In fact, this detail is one of the reasons I believe Jesus rose from the grave and that his body was not stolen. Because who in their right mind, what grave robbers, would race into a tomb to steal a body but be so polite as to first remove the linens and the face cloth and lay them nicely on the slab where they took the body? No. If you're a grave robber, you grab the body, you grab the linens that are attached to it, and you boogie out of there. And yet when they arrived, the linens and the face towel were still there, but the body of Jesus was not. And they're still not sure what all this means. In fact, we're told in verse 9 that they still did not fully understand about the resurrection. And so Peter and John and the other ladies, they go back home. But we're told that Mary stays at the tomb crying. After all, the dream that she had been holding on to had died. She didn't know what to do. Jesus was gone. She felt despair. She felt abandoned. She did not know why God would allow such a thing to happen. By the way, can you relate to any of this this morning? But then something incredible happens. In verse 14, we're told something amazing takes place. At this very moment where she is weeping, there is a turn in the story. We're told at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he, this is Jesus, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Isn't it interesting that Mary, this follower of Jesus who had seen him face to face for upwards of three years, did not recognize Jesus in this morning, in this moment. It's so interesting to me that Grief, fear, anxiety, and despair have this way of clouding our vision so much so that all we can see are our own tears. We miss the very presence of God in our situations, that He can be standing right there with us and we do not see Him because of what is going on. In fact, John says that Mary thought Jesus was the gardener. Now, this is not an incidental piece of information. John isn't just sharing things that don't matter. There's a purpose to him including this detail. We'll talk about that here in a moment. But there's this incredible moment that even though grief has overcome all that she can see, that she's missing the good news because of all the bad news. She's not able to see the good news physically standing with her. But something happens that changes all that. In verse 16, it says, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, she turned around toward Him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now listen to me, here's the second thing. Hope, number one, hope often starts in the dark. But number two, hope comes from listening to the right voice. Hope comes from listening to the right voice. It's when Jesus spoke Mary's name that she recognized Him. This is what Jesus said would happen when he talked about himself in John 10 as being the good shepherd. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And the sheep, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls out his own sheep by name and leads them. And his sheep follow him because, notice this, they know his voice. Friend, let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus' voice this morning? See, Jesus knows you by name. He knows everything about you. He knows what gives you joy. He knows what robs your peace. He knows what you're concerned with today. Jesus knows you deeply. The question, though, is not does He know you. The question is do you know Jesus? Do you know His voice? And it's so easy even to be a follower of Jesus and to know God and yet be so overwhelmed by what may be going on that we do not hear the voice of God in what's happening. Now, I know it's human nature to want to know as much as we can in times of crises. We want to know what's happening. We want to know when it happened. We want to know why it happened, how it happened, and what we can do to prevent what is happening. And so we will turn to any source or resource we think can give us that information And with a 24-hour news cycle, there is always at least one loudmouth who is more than happy to give you their opinion and tell you what to think, how to feel, and how to act in the crisis. The question is not, are there voices that we can listen to? The question is, which voice do we choose to listen to when everything is going on, when things are so difficult? Now listen, I want to be real clear. I am not suggesting that you ignore the truth or the wisdom that is available to us. We need to listen to those who are smarter than us. We need to listen to those who are in authority. But please understand me. There's a difference between acknowledging the truth of what someone is saying and being wise and giving your hope to what someone else is saying. See, I'm afraid that so many of us have exchanged the ultimate hope that comes from knowing the voice, the truth of God Himself, and we've exchanged the hope that comes from that with this lesser hope that is dependent on the commentary of men. Hear me now. Hope comes from listening to the right voice. Are you listening to the voice of Jesus? You say, Josh, how do I do that? It's very simple. You talk to Him in prayer, and then you read what He says in Scripture. You talk to Him in prayer. God, this is what I'm concerned with. This is what's going on. I don't know what to do. And then you listen to Him in prayer. You talk to brothers and sisters in faith. And let them speak to you because Christ lives in each of us and God will use your friends to speak truth to you. Are you listening to the right voice? Hope comes and often starts in the dark. Hope comes from listening to the right voice. And number three, I want you to see this last one, that hope is now available. Because notice Mary, when she calls Jesus by name, she doesn't actually use his name. Her response to Jesus is not, Jesus, although that's his name. It's not, oh, my friend, although he was her friend, or Savior, because of course he was Savior, or Master, or Lord. She doesn't call him any She says, teacher, teacher. Because she needs what you and I need. She needs to be taught by the voice of God what is true, how to think, how to feel, how to respond, and how to live. And this is available to you. It's available to me, and this is the third point, that hope is now available. The voice of Jesus does not ignore the heartbreak of life. Jesus does not pretend that everything is okay when it's not. But the voice of Jesus says that death has been defeated and He has robbed the grave. Mankind's great enemy does not get the final word, for Jesus declared that He is the resurrection and the life, and that He is now making all things new. This is why John includes that seemingly insignificant detail that Mary noticed and thought that Jesus was the gardener. John wants you and I to remember that all of creation began in a garden, and it was perfect. God, the great gardener, stepped into the chaos. He brought peace, order, and beauty into this broken world. And then He said, I give this to you. I place you in the garden and I want you to enjoy it and I want you to expand the borders of this garden through the reaches of this world. But then we sinned. We broke his, God's heart. And so sin came and shame came and divorce came and addiction came. And failure between people and economic failures and collapse came. Lying came. Jealousy came. Abuse came. Addiction came. Viruses came. Bacteria and disease and ultimately death entered into the story. But on this Easter morning, Mary looks and she confuses Jesus for the gardener. But the fact is, Jesus is that great gardener, and on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is leaving death, and He is saying, I am starting again, and you can start again with me. I'm creating a new world order where life wins, death dies, Satan fails, Christ is victorious, and in Him we have life. And this life can be yours, even today, that you can start again. Hope. Hope is available right now, because Jesus rose from the grave. I want us to pray now. And I don't know what it is God is needing to speak to you this morning, but He wants to speak. Will you listen? For some of you this morning, you simply need to be reminded that you are in Christ, that He is risen, and that you are a resurrected being, that no matter what happens here on earth, even the worst thing will never be the last thing. Even death itself ends in victory for those who are in Christ. And you need to know that. For some, you just need to step into that knowledge. For others though, today you need to meet Jesus Christ. And you say, how do I do that? It's very simple. We're gonna pray and I'm gonna invite you to, to repent, to tell God you're sorry for your sins. And then after that, I'm gonna invite you to reach out to us because there's this very clear teaching in scripture that those who believe in Jesus must be baptized. And we wanna help you take that step and to follow Christ into the water where you get to meet Him, where life is changed, where resurrection begins. And we're going to give you ways to do that here on screen in just a moment. But I want us to pray and talk now to our resurrected Savior. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, Father, our hearts are open to You today. We praise you, dear Jesus, for being the resurrection and the life, for bringing us from death to life and guaranteeing that no matter what earth may throw at us, what disappointments may come, the hope we have in you is eternal and it is secure. Father, for those today who need to be reminded that you are alive and we have been made alive in you, give them the hope that comes from Jesus. And for those who need to receive that hope. I pray that they will begin to do business now, that they will reach out, that we may help them take their next step into becoming a follower of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that they too may have the hope that God offers to all of us so freely. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.